Am I in trouble? For the roller skate thing? No, 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 no. We'll make that go away. Don't even, don't even worry about that. That's not why you're here. To be honest with you, kid, I, I wish it was. Last night, I saw something, something I've been dreading for some time. I don't know how to say this other than just to say it. Hawkins is in danger. You have fought this evil before, and you've won. But this evil, it's like a virus. Each time it returns, it comes back stronger, smarter, deadlier. A war is coming to Hawkins. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Greetings, stranger friends, and welcome back, everybody. Today, I can now say that I have watched more 
than just this episode that we're going to be talking about today. In fact, I've watched, wait for it, building up suspense, one other episode. Yes, yes, yes. I've only watched episodes three and four, and I'm losing my mind with that fact. But with the time it takes to, to, to watch the episode, I thought, well, I could use that time to talk about episodes. And I'm here to talk about episode three, but this is the first time I have some knowledge of what comes next, like literally next. So for the first time this season, I wonder if when I'm going through things, if I'll say anything that's a little spoilery or a little, uh, uh, you know, um, foreshadowy. Is that a, can that be a word? I mean, it's as spoilery as I can get, you know, with my small amount of future knowledge. All of you, every single person listening to this, I would say, already knows all seven episodes. And I am jealous of you. So congratulations on watching every episode. I will be there someday. Oh, I will. Don't you doubt. I will get there. But in the meantime, what are we waiting for? Let's get into Chapter 3. The Monster and the Superhero. Our episode begins not in Hawkins, not in California, not even in Russia. This episode begins in Ruth, Nevada. What the hell are we doing here? We see a woman standing at a sink doing dishes. And all of a sudden, she notices things in her kitchen are starting to rattle starting to shake, almost like it's an earthquake. And then all of a sudden, all these pots and pans just fall and smash. And you think, oh God, what's going on? And then you hear the sound of a helicopter and see this bright light shining through the kitchen window. She runs over to the living room and who do we find? Dr. Sam Owens, sitting in a recliner, sleeping, she goes over to wake him up to tell him what the hell is going on. They go out to their front yard to see the helicopter land right outside their house. And out of the helicopter comes that military man that we saw in Hawkins that they called in to look at the bodies. We cut over to inside the house and he shows Owens the body of Chrissy and he asks Owens if it reminds him of anything. And he says, no. And then Owens asks the military man, Sullivan is his name, says it on his name tag. Owens asks Sullivan, why are you here? I like your opinion. I was fired, in case you forgot. A foreign government invaded our country all under your watch. There had to be consequences. Certainly you understand that. What I understand is that something, something is going on in that town that nobody, nobody fully comprehends. And I also understand that military strength is not the answer. So what is the answer, doctor? More scientists? Because as men of science, men like you who created this problem in the first place, everything that has happened in Hawkins can be traced back to Brenner's little pet. Wouldn't you agree? He shows Owens a photo of that 
woman that worked for Brenner that Eleven killed uh, psychically back in season one in the school. Dr. Brenner trained her for this very thing, remote assassinations. What you're suggesting is impossible. Is it? Eleven is dead. I'm not convinced. So where has she been all this time? There are rumors she's alive and receiving help from someone on the inside. Are you saying I'm helping her? Is that what you're saying? If I wanted to chat, doctor, I would have picked up the damn phone. Now, you can make this easy and tell us where she is. Or we can do this the hard way. It seems like Owens chose the hard way because uh, all these military guys are now going through Owens' stuff, going through personal things, taking a bunch of uh, looks like paperwork and some kind of lockbox. And his wife's like, do something, do something. And you notice he sits there. He doesn't seem to do anything, but he does signal her a little like, just hold on, just wait a second. And then they leave. They take all this stuff. They get on their helicopter and they take off back to wherever the hell they're going, probably back to Hawkins. I want to know everything he's done and everyone he's spoken to in the past year. And if we're lucky, he'll lead us right to the girl. Okay, so it's pretty safe to say that this military guy is an asshole, right? Uh, He thinks all of this can be traced back to Eleven. He thinks that uh, Eleven's still out there. There's rumors that someone is helping Eleven. And he he seems to suspect that uh, Owens might actually be the person doing that. And now they think that Owens can lead them straight back to the girl. They're on a mission, a mission to find Eleven. Those bastards. So they fly off into the night as our opening credits start. After the credits, we're back at the skating rink. Angela is getting attended to by an EMT. They're asking her basic questions like, What is your name? You know where you are right now. And everyone there is just looking on, including Jonathan and Argyle. It looked like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, They're there to pick up the kids. And Will and Mike are also looking on, but they just look like they're in shock. And Eleven, well, she just looks visibly upset and she's even shaking. We cut into Argyle's pizza van and uh, they're, Argyle and Jonathan are just trying to diffuse the situation. It's a funny little scene. And they're like, whoa, imagine if it was ice skates. And they're like, look, she'll be fine. It's a little plastic wheel. Or is it a rubber wheel or a plastic wheel? In the grand scheme of things, it'll just be a little blip. Blip, 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 blip. But even as these guys in the front seat are trying to you know, make light of the situation, you could see pretty much everyone... All three of them, Will, Mike, and Eleven in the back seat, are still pretty upset and pretty, like it seems pretty tense. There's tension back there. So they get home and Murray is making dinner for everyone. It's a fun moment where he talks about how he was in town and he remembered, hey, don't the buyers live here now? 
I should go by and visit them. And it's funny because he's like, oh, he cooks. And he goes, and I clean too. I'm a regular little housewife. She's like, well, thanks for coming by. He's like, thanks for having me. And she said, you should just stay. I'd be tempted, Joyce, except, you know, you have that. uh... Right. That business trip. Business trip? What business trip? Ooh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I almost forgot to tell you guys. This thing came Can up. Can you pass me the olive oil? That's wine. It turns out I have to go to a conference tomorrow in Alaska. Alaska? Crazy, right? <laughs> That's where they're based, the Britannicas. Joan and Brian Britannica. <sighs> mm. So do Eskimos like, still live in igloos, or uh, are they like fully blown, like living in the, in the suburbs now? Oh. Who is this? So, Jonathan, this means you're going to have to, you know, take charge while I'm gone. Wait. What? There's a couple funny things going on here. First of all, Joyce and Murray came up with this whole story to explain why Joyce is going to Alaska. She has a conference with the Britannicas. Those are the people, the, what is it, Joan and Brian Britannica that make the Encyclopedia Britannica. She has to go there for a conference. Uh, what's also funny is Argyle just randomly asking uh, Murray a question, and Murray's like, um, who is this? And later, like he says it again later, he's like, I still have no idea who this guy is. But then we see that Argyle and Jonathan are just baked. Joyce is like, uh, when she says, you, you know, you're going to have to be in charge when I go, when I go. And he's like, oh, wait, what? And they're completely like, oh, it's been really stressful. And Murray, like Joyce has her head in the sand, but Murray knows exactly what's going on. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah I bet it's been stressful. They bring up the, uh, the skate attack. And uh, they talk about the girl, uh, but said, oh, she'll be fine. And Mike just said, she didn't look fine. And you could, you could see he's angry about the whole situation. And Eleven just storms off, goes to her room. Like Mike and Will are just sitting there uncomfortable. Everyone's just kind of like, what the hell was that? Joyce has no idea what's going on. And uh, she storms back to her room. And she thinks again about, you know, what did you do, Mike said, and what have you done, Brenner says. And she's just upset, crying in her bed. And then we cut over to the Upside Down in Hawkins, Indiana. We're seeing some of those flying creatures again. I, I don't know. Are they Demobats? I don't think we've ever actually got a good look at their heads, their face. I don't know if they have faces or their heads. Uh, but we are we are then whisked into that spooky old house where we see all those tentacles weaving around and plugging themselves into the back of Vecna like he needs to be charged. He's lifted off the ground, and it's kind of like this, it's like this grand, it almost looks like this all-powerful being being just whisked into the air. I used whisked twice in the last 30 seconds. Uh, and, and I'm not going to lie. He looks pretty, pretty menacing. He's, he is, as I would say, rather ghoulish. But while he's all plugged in in that upside down house, the sun is rising on a new day in Hawkins. And the only player on the basketball team that we like, Lucas Sinclair, 
He seems to have spent the night sleeping in what's left of Benny's burgers. He hears something going on outside and heads that way. Well, well, look who's decided to join. What are you guys doing? We're gearing up, preparing for the hunt. Hey, man, relax. And we're not killers like Eddie. And we just want to talk to him, get him to admit his crime. Yeah, a little friendly neighborhood chat. Hey, you didn't know Chris. If you're not up to this, you can go home. There's no judgment. You'll still be one of us, all right? No. I'm good. I want to help. All right. Let's capture us a freak. Something in the way that Lucas was like, no, 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 I want to help. Um, you know, I'm good. I don't know. I didn't buy it. Like I, something tells me in the back of his mind, he's thinking of his friends and his friend Eddie. And he's wondering, you know, um, am I helping these guys? Should I be helping these guys? Or should I be just around these guys so I know what's going on? I'm not sure if he's there yet. He definitely gets there. But I don't know, just the way he said it, he seemed like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't fully think he's on kind of their side for this mission of, of finding the freak. And the way Jason's like, hey, man, it's all good. We just want to talk to him, get him to admit his crimes. He's so, like, smarmy. Is that a word? He's, if that's the word I think it is, then that's exactly what he is. Just so smarmy. So when Jason slams the uh, the back of that Bronco or SUV or whatever, I don't think they were called SUVs in the 80s. ORV, um, maybe. As he closes the back anyway, the, the bang of that kind of cuts right over, over to uh, Reefer Rick's boathouse, where we see Eddie jump up because he hears something. He's understandably on edge. He's looking around, thinking he heard something outside, and boom! In storms, our friends, Robin, Max, Steve, and Dustin, bringing food to a visibly nervous, upset, on edge, Mr. Eddie Munson. So we got uh, some good news and some bad news. How do you prefer? Bad news first, always. All right, bad news. We tap into the Hawkins PD dispatch with our Cerebro, and they're definitely looking for you. Also, they're uh, pretty convinced you killed Chrissy. Like, 100% kind of convinced. And the good news? Your name hasn't gone public yet. But if we found out about you, it's only a matter of time before others do too. And once that gets out, everyone and their shallow-minded mother is going to be gunning for you. Hunt the freak, right? Exactly. So before that happens, we need to find Vecna, kill him, and prove your innocence. That's all, Dustin? That's all? Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Listen, Eddie. I know everything that Dustin is saying sounds totally delusional, but we've actually been through this kind of thing before. I mean, they have a, a few times, and, and I have once. Mine was more human flesh-based, and theirs was more smoke-related, but bottom line is, collectively, I really feel like we got this. Yeah, see, we usually rely on this girl who has superpowers, but uh, 
Those went bye-bye, so, uh... So we're technically in, in, in more of the brainstorming phase. Brainstorming phase. There, there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> I love how they're basically veterans at this now. Sure, it's new for Eddie, but hey, there's nothing to worry about. At that moment, they heard police sirens, and they're like, crap, hit, hide Eddie. Uh, but... It turns out the police were just racing by, racing by to find the twisted remains of Fred laying in the middle of the road. We see the police are now questioning Nancy about the last time she saw Fred, that there was nobody else around, and that she already told this to Officer Daniels. Daniels mentions that, you know, Nancy brought up Victor Creel and how uh, Wayne was the one that told her about him. Wayne Munson. Wayne Munson was also the name of my freshman year film professor. Wow, what a small world. Anyway, Chief Powell assures Nancy that Wayne is locked up and does, she doesn't have anything to worry about. Uh, she's listening to him, but she gets distracted as she sees a BMW pull up with Robin, Max, Steve, and Dustin. Then we jump right back to Callie, to Callie, to Callie. We jump right back to Callie, California. It's breakfast time at the buyers, and there seems to be an empty chair where a plate of Eggos drenched in, I think it's Mrs. Buttersworth uh, syrup, just sits there uneaten. And I wanted to reach through my television and eat those because they looked, they looked so good. Jonathan suggests that, hey, maybe they go see Police Academy 3 at the movies. And Will said, you know, maybe they should stay home today. Jonathan doesn't want them moping around, though. But Will's like, you know, he heard that movie was supposed to suck. Will Byers, you bite your tongue. Police Academy 3, colon, back in training is a cinematic masterpiece, pitting Commandant Lassard's Academy against the now Commandant Mauser's new Academy. Who comes out on top? I'm not going to spoil that, but wait, I'm sorry. What, what, what was I talking about? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. They, they didn't want to go to the movies. I, I can't imagine why, but uh, Mike, he doesn't seem too happy about the fact that L is not at breakfast. So he looks at the plate, stares at the plate for a few seconds, and finally he gets up and takes the egg, goes to her directly into her room. He comes in to see that she's fixing the uh, model of Hopper's cabin. So, um, are we just not going to talk about it? About what? I don't know, just maybe like about yesterday or everything. There's nothing to say. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess I'm just a little, uh, I just don't really understand. Why didn't you tell me what's going on here? I mean, you know, I'm not exactly Mr. Popularity back at home. I mean... You've seen it. I've been bullied my entire life. I mean, I, I know what it's like. No, you don't. Okay. What don't I understand? I am different. I do not belong. You mean in Lenora? Anywhere. Come on, you, 
You can't actually believe that. Everyone looks at me like... like I'm a monster. Well, they just don't know you. You think I'm a monster, too. What? Yesterday. The way you looked at me. You, you were scared of me. No, no. No, that's not, that's, that's not true. I was surprised. Maybe I was a little upset in the moment, but I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I didn't know what to do. I mean, it just it was so crazy. It happened so fast, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't matter. I, I care for you so much. Care? But you don't, you don't love me anymore. Who, who said that I didn't? You never say it. I say it. You can't even write it, Mike. From Mike. From Mike. From Mike. From Mike. From. Okay, okay, from. okay, okay. I love him. You're being ridiculous. What? Like, what is this? You, you know what I think of you. You're the most incredible person in the world, and you can't let these mouth breathers ruin you, ruin us. I mean, they're nobodies. They're nobodies. And you're a superhero. Not anymore. Ugh. I hate that moment. I don't like our friends fighting. It's a tough moment for him. First, Mike not being able to write love in the notes. And Elle just feeling so different. Feeling like she doesn't belong. I hate seeing these kids like this. But did you notice during that conversation, uh, she said, you know, they think I'm a monster. And Mike says, you're a superhero. We got the monster and the superhero in one speech. The monster and the superhero are, are one being. That, that being is a person. That person is Eleven. So in the buyer's living room, uh, we see Jonathan and Will watching the Ewoks cartoon. Ladies and gentlemen, that is available right now on Disney Plus if you wanted to watch that. And the doorbell rings. And uh uh-oh, it's the fuzz. They actually have a warrant for Jane Hopper because of what she did at the skating rink. Somebody pressed charges, whether it was the rink, Angela or Angela's parents. Right after she tells Mike she feels like a monster, right after that, she's getting handcuffed. A kid is getting handcuffed and given a perp walk out of the house into a cop car as the entire neighborhood looks on. Okay? Just, all you have to do is is trust me. I promise, okay? I'm going to get you out. I promise. Has mom still left yet? Mike is running alongside the cop car for, for a few paces, trying to get Eleven to look at him. She does, she does, I'm pretty sure she does glance over at him, and he's yelling, uh, you know, I'm going to fix this. You have to trust me. I'm going to fix this. I don't know how he thinks he's going to fix this, but uh, he's just, he watches the car drive off, and he just looks helpless. And Will and Jonathan are like, did, did mom's plane leave yet? And Jonathan races into the house, I guess, to call the airport to see if he can reach his mom before the flight takes off. And, of course, the next 
thing we see is Murray and Joyce on the plane. Joyce is asking Murray if, you know, she should have told them about Harper. And I love that Murray's reading a karate magazine. He's not really paying attention to her. I love how they're, they're, in, they're like, he's saying, I took karate classes. Now he's reading a karate magazine. He's becoming obsessed with karate. Uh, but it, I love how Murray says, your kids, um, they like to get involved. And he says, this way, what's the worst that could happen? You know, they stay home, they play a little Nintendo, smoke some ganja, experiment sexually. That didn't seem to sit well with Joyce or make her feel any better as a flight attendant comes over and tells her to fasten her seatbelt. I love that when we pull back, we see the planes flying and we pan over some fluffy clouds and then we fade into some fluffy snow, white cold snow in the prison yard of Russia. The place is littered with guards as the prisoners are working on the railroad all the live long day. One of those prisoners is Hopper, who we see take off his hat. And that, that that's one of those first shots that we saw of him. I think that was in the From Russia with Love teaser that I feel like came out five or six years ago. I don't remember at this point. The guard we know as Enzo confronts Hopper for stopping his work. And Hopper calls him a pig and an asshole, both in Russian. And Enzo grabs Hopper violently, pulls him in the back to what many assume thinks he's going to you know, rough him up a bit. But... Your Russian is getting better. So is your acting. Right, come on, what is it? I bring news from America. I heard from your friends. They're bringing your money to Alaska. Well, today I hope. If my pilot gets the money... He will bring it to me in his plane tomorrow. Then you can hitch a ride with him back to your country. I get rich, and you're a free man. Sound too good to be true, yes? It does. This pilot you found, you sure you can trust him? His name is Yuri Ismailov. He's a smuggler. Supplies American goods to some of us guards here, including me on lucky occasions. Cigarettes, peanut butter, playboys. The best America has to offer. Great. So he's a criminal. Well, of course. Who else do you want to do this job? Gandhi? <laughs> You're worried about your woman, is that it? I can see why you like her, American. When I talk to her, I can tell by voice that she's very pretty. Feisty, too. I like that. Shame we won't meet. You promised me that she would be safe. And she will be. Let me handle Yuri. You have more important things to worry about. Remember, you miss that plane tomorrow. I am still rich. And you are still stuck in Kamchatka. So whatever it is you're planning, American, best get to it, yes. Okay, so now we know what the actual plan is. The $40,000 uh, is given to Yuri. Yuri gets it to Enzo. He must take a little off the top. Uh, Yuri is a smuggler. He's going to bring his plane into Russia. Hopper is going to somehow get to the plane, which Enzo made it sound like, you know, that's Hopper's uh, problem, figuring that out. And then, um, you know, the plane will take him away out of Russia safely. Uh, I, I do like that he 
you know, he mentioned um, cigarettes, peanut butter, and Playboy, the best that America has to offer. I'm, I'm sorry, Enzo, uh, unless Yuri smuggles Sour Patch Kids into Russia, you truly haven't uh, sampled the best of what America has to offer. So the other guard, that nosy looking guy, the guy that we, we just can't trust, he pops around the corner and he starts, you know, saying, stop, you know, playing with your American pet. We need him back to work. He's like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he calls him a nosy bastard. And then he's like, all right, where do you want it? And Hopper shows, you know, points to his face. And of course, to make it look good, to make it look like they're not in cahoots, Enzo gives him a smasher right in the kisser. So we leave snowy Russia and cut back over to Hawkins, where Robin, Steve, Dustin, Max, and now Nancy are sitting together at a picnic table talking at the trailer park. So you're saying that this thing that killed Fred and Chrissy, it's from the Upside Down? That's the shoe fits. Our working theory is that he attacks with a spell or a curse. Now, whether or not he's doing the bidding of the Mind Flayer or just loves killing teens, we don't know. All we know is that this is something different, something new. Doesn't make sense. It's only a theory. No, Fred and Chrissy don't make sense. I mean, why them? Maybe they were just in the wrong place. They were both at the game. And near the trailer park. We're at the trailer park. Uh, should we maybe not be here? There is something about this place. Fred started acting weird the second we got here. Acting weird as in scared, on edge, upset. Max said Chrissy was upset too. Yeah, but not here. She was crying in the bathroom at school. Serial killers stalk their prey before they strike, right? So maybe Fred and Chrissy saw this Vec man. Vec not. I don't know about you guys, but if I saw some freaky wizard monster, I would mentioned it to someone. Maybe they did. I saw Chrissy leaving Miss Kelly's office. If you saw a monster, you, you wouldn't go to the police. They'd never believe you. But you might go to your, your shrink. I love seeing them put the pieces together. You know, they noticed that both Chrissy and Fred were visibly upset. And Max mentioned that, you know, maybe Chrissy wouldn't go to the police. Because Steve was like, if I saw some crazy wizard thing, I'd probably tell someone. They're like, yeah, maybe they wouldn't go to the police, but maybe they might go to, and was it Robin or or Nancy or um, Max that said their shrink? And, and in this case, it would be the, the school counselor, Miss Kelly. So they head off. They head back to the car, but they all go to Steve's car, except Nancy veers off and heads to her car instead. She has this thing she wants to check on. It's probably a real shot in the dark, but Steve's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want you going out there alone. Um, and he's, you know, going to give the keys to Robin. She's like, I don't have a license. Well, you don't have a license? Why? Because she's like, well, because I'm poor. Dustin's like, I'll drive. No, he looks at, at uh, Max. No, no way he's letting Max drive again. Dustin, no chance. Uh, he, he thinks, he thinks, and Robin's like, okay, you know what? I'll go with Nancy. Okay, unless you think you need to protect us. Uh, and Steve's like, okay, fine. He stays with uh, Dustin and Max, but he's like, God damn, I'm always the goddamn babysitter. 
Dustin's like, are you are you done gawking it over there? He's like, come on. He's like, get in the car, wipe your feet. And Dustin wipes his feet in the car. I thought that was funny. You could just see the two of them. They're very like playful, brotherly, get on each other's nerves. So they head off. Uh, but we see inside, as they leave, we see inside Eddie's trailer. There's a crack in the ceiling that I'm assuming was caused when Chrissy's body smashed up against it. Now we see this crack is like growing and there seems to be some sort of like it's rotting or something. We cut immediately back to the haunted house, the haunted upside down house. Inside we see Vecna. He seems to be like hibernating, resting, but in fact he seems to be psychically scanning Hawkins' residence. He's looking for for pain, for despair. We see a man worried about a cough. A young woman worried that her boyfriend will leave her if she doesn't sleep with him. A victim of domestic violence. We see someone being called names. An elderly woman afraid of being locked away in a nursing home. And then it hones in on a vehicle. It's seemingly, it's almost as if Vecna has found a target. And it goes right into the car. And boom. We see on the other end, Patrick, one of the basketball players with Lucas. He's inside the car looking for Eddie. And oh, he starts grabbing his head like he's having, he's having a headache. Uh, that's not a very good sign for Patrick. And then he notices his nose start to bleed. His friend's like, dude, dude, your nose is bleeding. Gross. Like he doesn't say, are you okay or anything? He just is like, gross. They, they pull up in their car. So now with the basketball players, uh, Lucas, uh, Jason, Patrick, and is it Aaron? Is that the other guy now? Um, so they pull up their car to this garage where we see a band playing, uh, in a garage. I guess you you ever hear the term garage band? That's because you go into a garage, you plug in all your stuff and you jam and there's, there's an echo in there. And I've, I've jammed in a few garages in my day. Um, and it is always so much fun. You go to the house uh, where the kid who owns the drums because the drums are the hardest thing to uh, to move. That's a pro tip. Anyway, the, the kid playing the bass, he is wearing an exact Iron Maiden number of the beast shirt that I own. Okay, mine isn't from the 80s, but I mean, let's be honest, that one isn't either. That's my favorite band. Uh, and I, I have that shirt. I wore that shirt to uh, one of their concerts a couple of years ago. Who knows? I may wear it again to another concert this fall. I'm just saying, just saying. So um, anyway, the and I also I love the Motorhead banner that's hanging on the wall. So uh, the I call them the Basketball Bastards. I wrote that down. I don't, I'm trying to come up with a name for them. I think I just hate them. That's the, I'm going to be called. I'm going to call them. The, I hate these guys. That's what I'm going to call this group. So the, um, the music stops. They're, they're jamming, they're jamming, but then the music stops as these basketball bastards park their car and walk right up to, quote-unquote, talk to these guys. Hello, early, fellas. Show's not till next week. Oh, that was music you were playing. We're looking for Eddie Munson. He's in this band, if that's what you can even call this. What do you care? That's our business. Lucas? What are you doing with these douchebags? You know these freaks, Sinclair? They know my sister. They try to recruit me to their 
club, cult. Lucas, what the hell? We're just trying to find Eddie, man. Well, you have eyes, don't you? He's not here. I like to think that by now Lucas realizes he's in over his head. He still doesn't want to uh, give away that he's part of this group. He, I mean, he he lies. He he turns on his friends, throws them under the bus. He's like, "What is this? Some this cult or something? You know that my sister belongs to?" And they're like, "Dude, what the hell?" But he gives that guy one look where he just is like, "We're trying to find Eddie." Like, the look on his face is like, dude, just go with it, please. At least that's what I hope he's doing. Um, Otherwise, he's just really being a bad friend. And as we see, things get out of hand pretty quickly as Jason punches that kid in the face, throws him into his drums. I'm like, oh, don't do that. And uh, then, like, was he stepping on his hand, saying, you know, I don't know anything, I don't know. And then... The kid remembers Dustin, Dustin Henderson. So now Dustin is involved. He said he's been calling around looking for Eddie. Maybe he found him. And Jason is like, where do we find this Dustin Henderson? And you could just see the look on Lucas's face. He's like, oh, golly gee, what have I done now? We cut over to the police station in California. And the cops are questioning Eleven. Why did you hit her? I don't know. You don't know? Turns out, uh, you know, Angela had a grade two concussion. Did you know that? Did you want to kill her? She says, I don't know. You don't know if you wanted to kill her? She starts having flashbacks, thinking about the lab all those years ago. She says, no. No, you didn't want to kill her or no you don't know I don't know the cops just look at her then we see her getting a mug shot we see her getting fingerprinted the boys are freaking out they're they're talking to this woman behind the desk you know like what are you doing you know we want to see her it's you know a guardian's only parents only we're her brothers we're family the woman tells them you know she's after she gets processed that then she'll head to juvenile hall They're like, Juvie, you're sending her to jail? This is ridiculous. She's like, you know, nothing's going to change by complaining to me. They head outside the police station, and we see Eleven getting uh, loaded onto a police van. It's just crazy. Uh, Will and Jonathan are like, what do we do? We, You know, this is such bullshit. Like, we have to, uh, you know, I guess we have to wait for Mom to land in Alaska to reach her. And Mike... Just kind of, he's not really paying attention to them. He sees the van pulling off and he knows, he just knows she's in there. And we see that moment from the trailer, one of the trailers, the teaser, something where she's in the van driving away and you just see Mike 
standing in the middle of the road, sad, looking forlorn. Forlorn? Is that a word? Forlorn. He looks sad. Let's just say he looks sad. We're back on the plane now, and we see Murray is fast asleep as Joyce is getting her meal. She mentions to the flight attendant that uh, her and, quote-unquote, her husband are going to see an old friend. And we cut over to that old friend, getting his bowl of gruel and a piece of probably stale bread to eat as the guards bark at them one person at a time, one piece at a time. He sits down and starts talking. He's, he, he knows a little Russian. Start ta- starts talking with another prisoner, offering him uh, his bread. The man thinks Hopper's coming on to him, but Hopper just, just told him, no, he just wants him to hit his ankle chain with his hammer when they're out there. If he hits it, he'll give him the bread. And the man was saying, you know, I will break your leg. And Hopper he he doesn't care. He's like, you hit, I give you bread. And the man's like, uh, and your soup. Hopper just, he gives him everything. And the man just calls him a, he's a crazy American. Back on the tracks that they're working on, uh, Hopper's watching the guards, seeing if anyone is paying attention. He realizes no one's really looking at him. And he signals the guy to hit him as he braces for the impact. You can see Hopper's in tremendous pain, but he just braces himself and tells him again. And he just waits and holds it, and just the guy does it again and again and again, smashing that iron over and over as Hopper just bites the, the, the sleeve of his coat. You can hear him going, like he's in so much pain, but he just takes it. He's like, I have to do this. We cut over to the Hawkins Public Library. We see Nancy and Robin arrive, uh, and Robin is just asking all kinds of questions about Victor Creo. Didn't this happen in the 50s? Uh, you know, it, She's just going on and on and on. You can see that Nancy's getting a little annoyed by Robin, but what I do love is that Robin realizes it, and you know, she's like she realizes how she comes across, and Nancy's like, "Nope, I'm I'm fine. Okay, that's that's fine." She asks the librarian, "Hey, it's the same librarian that um, I guess Jim Hopper stood up after they went on a date. Uh, it's good to see she's back." Uh, she asks a for a key to the archives, which is in the basement. And the librarian's going to get that for them because they're going to be looking for something. Meanwhile, the rest of the crew is over at the guidance counselor's house. Max showed up saying that she wants to talk. And Dustin and Steve are just waiting in the car for her. Dustin brings up how he thinks Steve still has a little thing for Nancy, which Steve completely denies. But... You know, Dustin's like, uh, you know, considering your steadfast refusal to date Robin, it seems like the only logical conclusion to which Steve says, and it's pretty funny, he goes, that's not the only one. Steve said he's just trying to protect a friend. He doesn't want to find her with her eyes sucked out of her skull. 
He's like, you know, Henderson, I don't want to talk about it anymore, okay? Dustin keeps laughing, and Steve says, uh, you know, he, he, he'll punch him so hard that his teeth are going to fall right back out. Oh, too far. Not cool. Sorry. I just love that little moment because they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, and Steve's like, oh, you know, I went too far. I love, you could, they just have this brotherly bond, the two of them. And they give each other a fist bump. Could that be the world's first fist bump? Were we doing fist bumps in 1986? I don't remember that. Now inside, remember they're, they're outside Mrs. Kelly's house, Miss Kelly's house. Inside, Max is talking to her about how, you know, things are, are worse with everything that's been happening. She asked, uh, Miss Kelly asked Max if she's ready to talk about that night. But Max, after thinking about Billy dying again, she deflects and starts talking about why she was really there, Chrissy. She mentions, you know, she lives next door to where it all happened. Uh, and the cops asked her a bunch of questions. She, Miss Kelly, did, did she ask you anything? But she told Max, you know, she can't talk about Chrissy or any other student. Yeah, but I mean, what if there was a serial killer on the loose in my neighborhood? Did Chrissy mention anything? Anything about you might have done this? Max, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I really can't discuss this. You wouldn't want me talking to any other students about you, right? If I were dead and it would help catch the killer, then yeah, I most definitely would. Well, let's leave that up to the police, shall we? Yeah, you're right. The police totally have this under control. Can I use the bathroom? Sure. Up the stairs to the left. Thanks. Max could see she really wasn't getting anywhere with Miss Kelly, so she asks to use the bathroom. And at first I thought, oh, this was her plan all along, but re-watching it, no, I don't think so. She, she looks like she's going to the bathroom, but then she notices this bowl that has Miss Kelly's keys in it. She finds one that's marked office and immediately gets the hell out of there. Gets to the car and they're like, what did she say? She's like, just drive. What, 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 what's going on? Steve, drive. Just drive. And they take off. They get the hell out of there. We now cut over to Dustin Henderson's house. Jason's banging on the door like a crazy person, but it doesn't look like anyone else is there. Uh, the three main you know, guys are like, oh, I guess we'll just keep looking. But then they turn and they look at their car and they see that Lucas isn't there. That's because Lucas is around back diving through Dustin's window into Dustin's bedroom so he can jump on Cerebro and warn Dustin. 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 Lucas, where the hell have you been? Just listen. Are you guys looking for Eddie? Yeah, and we found him, no thanks to you. You found him? He's at a boathouse on Coal Mill Road. Don't worry, he's safe. You guys know he killed Chrissy, right? That's bullshit. Eddie tried to save Chrissy. Then why do all the cops say he didn't? Lucas, you're so behind, it's ridiculous, okay? Just meet us at the school. We'll explain later. I can't. I think some real bad shit's about to go down. What are you talking about? What bad shit? Sinclair! Lucas? Lucas? What the hell were you doing? I was I was looking for clues. Clues? What, freshman think he's Sherlock Holmes or something? 
Yeah, let's go. I found one. What? A clue. I know where Eddie's hiding. I love that Max is like, Lucas, you're so behind. It's ridiculous. Just meet us at the school. He's like, I can't. I think some bad shit is going to go down. And uh, that's when the jerk squad finds him. And he gets off the radio, comes out of the window, says he was looking for clues. And he found one. He said he knows where Eddie's hiding. Dustin did tell him. But Lucas and Claire? Turncoat? Traitor? Or a quick-thinking hero? We shall see. Oh, yes. We shall see. We jump over to the police van that Eleven is in, making its way down this pretty flat, pretty dead-looking part of California. It looks like it's in the middle of nowhere. Elle is still replaying what she did to Angela over and over as she, she hears something. She looks out the back and she notices three cars approaching. They cut off the van and a woman gets out of one of the cars holding up a badge saying, You have Jane Hopper? We'll take her from here. And uh, so the officer goes to unlock the back of the van and Eleven like times it. She pushes the van open and tries to escape. But two suits grab her before she can run off. And we see the same shot from one of those teaser trailers. Um, was it the one on Stranger Things Day? I forget. But it's funny when you see a moment that you've seen, you're like, oh, that's where that fits in. But what we didn't see was what she looked up and what she was looking at. Because in one of those cars, out comes Mr. Sam Owens. He looks at Eleven and says, hey, kiddo. So we leave California behind and head up to the 49th state of this American Union, Alaska, as Joyce and Murray's plane finally lands. Murray's fast asleep, but Joyce wakes him and then grabs her carry-on bag, which appears to be spilling over with money. Thankfully, none of it fell out. So we leave the snow of Alaska and return to the snow of Russia. The workday is over and the prisoners are being led back to their cells. But not before a guard checks all of the chains around their ankles to make sure they're properly secured. Hopper stands there, uh, ready to be checked in, and a man tugs on the chains. Nothing happens at all. The chains hold. But I'm thinking he must be in such incredible pain. But he doesn't flinch once. He just stands there. They tug it, and he's like, okay, I'm good. Back in his cell, though, we see him unwrap uh, his feet, and we see a giant gash on his feet, a gash that I think he's using to try to squeeze his feet out of those leg irons. And now he is showing that he is in incredible amounts of pain. We cut back away from scary Russian prison and into the nice, relaxing Hawkins Library where Robin and Nancy are looking for something of interest, something on Victor Creel, anything. But they don't seem to find much. Nancy started to think this thing was just an entirely big waste of time. She realizes Robin's probably bored too and tells her, why don't you just have, call Steve and have him pick you up? 
she goes downstairs to look through some more microfilm, or is it microfiche? I, I don't know. The, there's a difference between microfiche and microfilm, right? Microfiche is such a much more fun word to say, though. So let's say microfiche. So Robin follows her down and lets Nancy know, you know, we're just friends, her and Steve. It's completely platonic, in case that was adding to any tension between the two of them. But Nancy's like, it isn't. Robin opens a draw and just kind of, you know, looking around and ooh, she finds the, the weekly watcher. She can't believe that they, they have a tabloid newspaper like that here. It's very much like the weekly world news that I used to beg my mother to get whenever I was at the uh, grocery store as a kid. The weekly watcher, I can't believe they have this. Don't they write about, like, Bigfoot and UFOs? First of all, UFOs are absolutely real. Bigfoot, I'm still on the fence about. But may I remind you that we are looking for information on dark wizards? If someone's going to write about that, it's going to be these weirdos. Elvis, cloned by aliens. You never know. Victor Creel claims vengeful demon killed family. The murder that shocked a small community. Ha ha, that's very funny. I'm not kidding. Get over here. According to several insiders, Victor believed his house was haunted by an ancient demon. Victor allegedly hired a priest to exorcise the demon from his home. Pretty novel for the 50s. Exorcist wasn't even out yet. Keep going. Okay. So, Victor claimed this exorcism failed, but it angered this demon, which then murdered his family, removing their eyes. Victor believed he was spared as a punishment. Yeah, that's pretty convenient for Victor. Yeah, or super inconvenient. Victor was declared legally insane by the court, right? Well, what if this is why? I mean, it sounds pretty insane. It just didn't go public because the plea bargain, the records were sealed. What if a demon did invade Victor's home? It's just, this demon wasn't any old demon. It was Vecna. See, kids, going to the library can lead to good things. I love that they found it not in the, you know, uh, regular daily news newspaper but they found it in some crazy tabloid where this this victor creel guy is claiming that demon a, a demon um killed his family and talks about the eyes very similar to um to what they were seeing so they think they found a connection here between victor creel and the killings of um Fred and Chrissy, and they think it all ties back to Vecna. They leave the uh, library and call over to Dustin. I love that uh, Robin calls Nancy a genius. So Dustin, Max, and Steve are at the school, and they're telling him that you know Vecna's murders date back to the fifties. Dustin's like, okay, that's that's great, but I can't really talk about it right now. They're like, why not? What are you doing? Eh, we're basically. Uh, uh, committing break and entering and they're going to steal uh, some sensitive uh, documents in Miss Kelly's classroom. They said, just get over here. Get your asses over here, he tells them. I love when Robin said, we'd leave them alone for two hours. So we see the three of them at the school go into Miss Kelly's room. Dustin makes a crack about how it feels like Watergate. It's like, like Hawkinsgate. And Steve's like, wait, didn't those guys get caught? 
Max finds the file on Chrissy, and she also finds one on Fred. She didn't realize Fred was seeing Miss Kelly, too. While they're doing that, we cut over to Jason and the basketball dicks. Uh, not including Lucas. Not including Lucas. They park the car in the woods, and they get some stuff out of the trunk. I'm sorry, did I see rope in there? Anytime you see rope in a trunk of a car, I feel like that guy's up to no good. So they're, they're like drawing a map, almost like they're setting up a play in a basketball game. Uh, they're drawing a map on the ground. They're plan to ambush Eddie. And they make their way off towards a building set back in the woods on the hunt. We jump over to California to the County Line Diner where Owens and Eleven are talking. He's like, order whatever you want, kid. Food's on me. So she orders some waffles. Some things never change. He talked about how... um, you know, he moved him out there because he thought it would be a quiet, you know, away from Hawkins, away from any danger, any, uh, any craziness. And Eleven talks like, you know, am I in trouble? And he's like, for the skate, for the rolling skate? No, 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 no. We'll, we'll make that go away. That, that's not a big deal. That's part of the clip I played to open up this episode. She says, that's not why you're here? He's like, to be honest, kid... I wish it was. He talks about how last night he saw something that he's been dreading for some time. Uh, Hawkins is in danger. Maybe a stranger danger. (laughs) Uh, While while he's talking, we see Vecna. um, And Owens talks about how you fought this evil before and you have won. We see her closing the gate. Uh, We see like different flashes of things that she's done. And Owens explains that this evil is like a virus. Each time it comes back stronger, smarter, deadlier, you know, which is what led us to Vecna. And then he says, a war is coming to Hawkins. Where you at, freak? While Owens is talking, we cut over and we see Jason smash a door open and they all go inside and they're in Hopper's cabin. Lucas, you son of a bee, you misdirected them on purpose. So they go, let's check around the back, and this is the moment. This is the chance. Lucas takes off and runs. You're good people, brave friends, who have helped you fight your battle in the past. We see Hopper doing push-ups, getting his strength up. Can't win this war. Not without you. No, it's not fair to ask more of you. But I wouldn't be here if I didn't think this was the only way. If I didn't think you were the only one who might have a shot to hit this thing so hard, it can't get back up. I don't have my powers. What if I told you there was a way, a way to bring them back? Wait, what? Owens could... Bring Eleven's powers back? So we cut back. He, he's talking now. And we flash back to when the helicopter was leaving his house. He said he'd feared this day would come and has been preparing and developing a way to restore her abilities. 
So when that general guy came and left, we didn't know what Owens was doing, but we see that the moment the helicopter left, he jumped into action. He pulls out this this hidden briefcase size computer, which is way nicer than Murray's computer. And it seems like, yes, in 1986, it seemed like he is emailing someone as he, he talks about how he has a plan to not only bring her powers back, but bring them back stronger than they've ever been before. He says there are others out there who thinks that she is the cause of all of this. But he believes, he believes she is the cure. So if this is going to work, he asks that she leave with him right now. But there's a real possibility that if this doesn't work, she'll never see her friends again. My friends in Hawkins, are they in danger? We see Max reading one of the files, seeing headaches, Nightmares. Nosebleeds. I'm afraid your friends at Hawkins are very much... Can I see friends file? In the eye of the storm. You may feel you need to go to them now. But if you do, you will risk everything. Risk everyone. Max, I know something's wrong. We realize now, everything that's been happening to Fred that's been happening to Chrissy. It's also been happening to Max. The nightmares, the nosebleeds, the headaches, the despair that she's been going through because of Billy, the sadness. It seems like Max is next. They're not the only ones in danger. It's life as we know it. This is why I'm here, because I believe you are our best hope, our only hope. What if I'm not good? What if I'm the monster? I don't know you that well, kiddo, but I'm betting the fate of the planet that you're one of the good ones. But I know you have spent too much of your life being told what to do by people like me. I know that. So you say the word and I will take you right back home. Or, come with me now. Find out for yourself. Okay, okay, the fate of the planet. We could, we could deal with that. We, we could work with that. that. That should be fine. No big deal, no big deal. So, after Owens gives her the choice, we see the waitress come back with their food, but they're already gone. The feds pull up outside of the buyer's home. Jonathan, Mike, and Will come out but there's only two cars. We know there were three. The third car with Owens and Eleven, that's heading off, heading off down a road, down a long, dark road. She's ready to see what Owens has to offer, ready to see if she can get her powers back. She's ready to save the world. Everything's going to be just fine. Oh, shit. The chime of the clock. Oh, God. 
We're back in the school. And now Max is walking down this hallway. She turns and she sees that damn grandfather clock embedded in the wall of the school. The chimes get louder. The tick talk gets louder as she looks upon this clock. We zoom in and see the pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth, back. Max. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, okay. Sorry. Let me catch my breath. That was, okay. That was crazy. So this episode... As you can see, this episode of Stranger Danger is the shortest one I've done this far. But so much happens in this episode. It's crazy. Like, while I was watching it, I'm like, so much is happening. But I really feel like I could, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. It's going to be a little less than what, we're, what we've seen. You know what I noticed? I don't think there's any long, fun musical moments in this episode. Um a lot of down moments, a lot of like, oh, sad moments, some fun moments, but let's think about the big thing. The big thing is uh, Eleven goes from being arrested to being saved from Owens. But here's the thing. Remember that guy, that general at the beginning? He said Owens is going to lead us straight to her. So that's making me a little nervous. Uh, because now there's some sort of military presence who thinks that she is the evil. She is the um, the force that must be stopped. But at the same time, you have Owens and his resources on Eleven's side. The whole thing with Angela and the skate just feels like ancient history at the end of this one, doesn't it? I mean, who cares about some trivial high school thing like that when... The fate of the world is in your hands and you just find out that, you know, you can get your powers back, but not just get them back, but stronger um, and bigger and better than ever. What the hell does that mean? I can only imagine. But there's a part of me that's like, oh, is the Angela thing going away? Because I, I want them all to get their comeuppance, not just in a like violent way i want something like embarrassing to happen to them like remember when max and 11 did the slushy thing at the mall i mean that was playful maybe you know i guess smashing someone face in with a skate kind of makes you know pouring slush on someone um not seem like a big deal at this point so maybe i'm still thinking too much like a kid but I wonder if we will ever see those kids again, Angela and her mean, mean, mean friends. Speaking of some kids we don't like, there's those high school kids who are really on a mission to meet up with Eddie. Um, Lucas was with them, but I never felt like he was with them, if you know what I mean. He's you know, like, like, yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'll help. I'll go. And then there's the moment where he's like... Uh, 
you know, I, I have a clue. And he did know where, where they were because he didn't know where Eddie was hiding because Dustin told him. And he said he knows, but he misdirected them. Thankfully, he misdirected them. And finally, finally, he left them behind. Now, Mike and Will and Jonathan, they didn't, they didn't do much in this episode, really, storyline-wise. There was a bad fight between uh, Mike and Eleven. I hated that. Um, they kind of they, they tried to get Eleven out of jail. That didn't work. They're trying to call Joyce. That doesn't seem to be working. So they were a little helpless in this episode overall. Um, speaking of Joyce, her and Murray made it to Alaska. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and not too far from Alaska is Russia. And that's where Hopper, we finally see the plan that is in place. The money is so that they can, this guy Yuri is going to fly his plane in, smuggle some stuff in, and s- smuggle one you know, giant chief of police out if he can get to the plane. We'll see. He, ha- he came up with a plan at least to try to get out of his tire irons, and that's to smash the hell out of his ankles to make it easier for him to, to pull the tire irons off. Tire irons? I mean ankle irons. Uh, if he was wearing tire irons, that'd be, that'd be very difficult to run. I'm trying to think what, I mean, so much happened. Max, so, and well, let's talk about Robin and Nancy figure out that this Vecna character has been around for decades, or at least it looks like it, based on the Victor Creel uh, family murders. And it seems like they're starting to put the pieces together as to um, what Vecna is focusing on you know because they earlier they're like is it random does he just like to kill teens but they've discovered that this Chrissy character and Fred character both had um very similar um issues going on they they had trauma they had uh nosebleeds headaches and nightmares and that's when Max realizes the same thing has been happening to her. And that's when we hear Vecna say, Max. We hear it twice. First it's Max. And, you know, she, I, I assume she's sitting right there at the chair this entire time. But she gets up in her dream and finds the clock. And then we hear Vecna one more time say, Max. And boom, we see his face as the episode ends. So much is happening. Um, Eleven's off to save the world. Max is trying to save herself. Uh, the, these basketball players are trying to find Eddie to beat him up. And Lucas finally uh, shook them and, and, and ran off while uh, the librarians, the, the girls at the library found some clues. The kids at the school found some clues. And we had a, fun, a couple fun moments with Steve and Dustin, wowie, wow, wow, wow. A lot happened in this episode, and, and yet uh, here we are with the shortest episode of the season so far. But you know what? That's okay. That's all right. The, the, the shorter this episode is, it just means you get to our next episode faster. I don't know if that's logically true, but I'm trying to you know make something sound good here. 
So I think that's it. I think I've covered everything. I think we're all done here. But there's a few things I want to let you know about. There's some cool things happening to uh, this podcast, Stranger Danger. Uh, Stranger Danger has gone into a podcast partnership with a company called Minute Media. So what does that mean exactly? Well, for me, it means that there could be uh, just more opportunity to um, expand the podcast, get, uh, get the word out, find you know, more listeners out there, more advertisers. Uh, it also means that my podcast is now being uploaded through a different system. But what does that mean to you, the listener? Not a lot. And by that, I mean, you don't need to change where you subscribe. You don't need to change the app you're using. If you were listening to the previous episode, you can listen to this episode and every episode, always all the same through the same feed. And I thank you guys so much for continuing to find the show, continuing to listen to the show. Now, since we're no longer on the old system, another thing that changes is how voicemails are done. It used to be you'd go through the, the website, the system I use, and there was a, a, a link there that you would click on to leave a message. That is no longer the case. However, if you go to fansnotexperts.com slash strangerdanger, you'll see there is a new link for leaving a message. It's a new system, there's a, and there's a link on every episode to leave a message. It's very similar to what you did in the past. It's just a new system. But don't worry, if you did leave a voicemail, I backed everything up so I can listen to them when I eventually get to that voicemail episode. Oh, and I guess the last thing to talk about is uh, Stranger Danger is still found at fansnotexperts.com. However, you can also get to the show by going to, wait for it, strangerdangerpodcast.com. Yes, I got the domain, strangerdangerpodcast.com. That just redirects you right back to fans.experts.com. But I think I also have strangerdangerpodcast.com slash voicemail, which allows you to leave, which brings you straight to the voicemail messages. I think, I don't know, I did this all today. It's been a very, very long day. Uh, But I'm very excited about um, growing the show. And I'm very excited about talking stranger things to you guys. Um, I think, like, I was trying to crunch the numbers and crunch the numbers. I, I took my calculator out. And I was like, I might be able to get all seven of these done before we get to July 1st. We're almost halfway there. One more and we're already past halfway there. That's how math works. Like, three is not quite half of seven, but four is more than half of seven. So see, all it takes is one more episode, and we're over halfway there. Oh, I'm not sure if you care about math. Okay, I'm at the point now where I'm stretching this so long that it might be as long as the older episodes. Listen, I'm very tired, and I'm going to go to bed now. But not before I say a few things. And those words are, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for following. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Mentality. The show can be found at, on Twitter at Stranger D Pod. And you can find every episode, every episode of Stranger Danger, all the bonus episodes, all the book club episodes 
at StrangerDangerPodcast.com. Doesn't that sound cool? I love it. All right, my friends. Until next time, once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Stay stranger, my friends. And remember, if you see a giant grandfather clock embedded in a wall or a tree or anywhere else, just run. Run away from the clock. Away from the clock. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.